0: Welcome to The Favourites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. I am your host. We have a massive, massive show today because it is PGA Championship Week out at Bethpage in Long Island. Uh, And of course, we have the best golf writer of his generation working at the Action Network. That is Jason Sobel. He is going to come on later in the show. We are finally down to the conference finals in the NBA playoffs, and we happen to have um, maybe the best NBA better (laughs) currently in existence working with us at the Action Network. That is Justin Fan. We're going to explain to everybody how you can all jump on the fan wagon. Start by following Justin in the Action Network app. But first up... The most polarizing man, not just at the Action Network, but in all of sports media and potentially Twitter itself, Mr. Darren Ravel. What's up? How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about this week.
0: I'm excited about it, too. We're going to talk about a new project you're working on that's uh, going to debut on Twitter. And the reason why we decided to do on Twitter, I think, can be summed up in what you did on Twitter over the past, say, month. Because first, um, on the night of the NCAA tournament finals, the championship game, you doing what you do, which is like completely authentic, passionate, and genuine – uh, and then willing to share it, and I say this with respect and admiration, <laughs> um, you sang One Shining Moment, and you did like a whole rendition of it that we shared on the Action Network uh, Twitter handle at Action Network HQ, and that you shared, and honest to God, it had more views than the actual highlight reel that CBS put out for One Shining Moment. So that yeah, was more, one.
1: More, yeah, it got it, it got more than double what, If you added up the official NCAA handle and the CBS handle, got from the social output of one shining moment. So, and that was just genuine, honestly. We we were. It was me and a couple of our guys, our social guys, Jack and and Connor, in the office. And it was like 7:30, and we're saying to each other, "God, this thing starts at 9:20. There's nothing going on," and we felt that it was just a dead time. And I said, you know, I love One Shining Moment. I sang the song at my rehearsal dinner. I, said, there, I have a good relationship with David Barrett, the guy who wrote it. It's an important song. And I, I couldn't wait for the tip, let alone One Shining Moment. We put it out there, and I think, uh, love it or hate it, people were talking about it.
0: All right, so that was number one. Like that, That trended so wildly that Tom Brady, who had just joined Twitter, Retweeted it and said, "I'm leaving Twitter."
1: <laughs> yeah, we got Tom Brady and J.J. Watt both responding. So that, that do you that, know from, Tom from Brady at all? Have,
0: have you had any have interviewed
1: him? I've interviewed him several times. Uh, I believe he'd know who I am if he saw me, but we are not acquaintances. Nor does he follow me on Twitter. So that goes to show you how how much of a deal it was. Someone either sent it to him, you've gotta see this, or he doesn't follow me. So
0: Alright, so the second thing you did, and I wanna get this is all leading up to the premise of this project. And so I'm I'm deliberately creating a buildup here so people are going to have to hold on to listen to hear what you're going to be doing on Twitter that, that they control <laughs> or enjoy depending on their perspective. But the second thing you did was you posted a picture of the LSU gymnastics team celebrating coming in second place in the NCAA tournament and said, why are they posting a billboard? And it set off a firestorm. Explain your logic and what happened.
1: Well, the, the logic is simply the way they did it, that it, they had like a special logo that said runner-up. Now, I know that the NCAA has given out trophies for the runner-up for all their championships, I think since around 1995, okay? So there is a runner-up trophy. Uh, I have never seen a runner-up logo Uh, I did research the background quickly when I saw this online that they had a runner-up billboard, and it was basically because LSU Gymnastics had the greatest four-year run in their history. They did not win a championship. By gymnastics standards, they got beaten soundly by Oklahoma, and it just felt like you can thank the community. You can say, what a four-year run. But to have them together holding the runner-up trophy with a runner-up logo, just to me, I just didn't like it. And I knew exactly what was going to happen. It's because it's me, but it's also because Twitter by its nature is out of context, right? Like, I wasn't going to explain the whole thing. All I was going to say is, I don't agree with how they put it out. And people went nuts, and the gymnastic team went nuts, and it became about me and how I'm a horrible person, and... Whatever but, but but I was trending nationally for five hours.
0: Only to be topped only <laughs> to be topped by when you ran the forty yard dash before the NFL draft. And the comments were both hilarious and mean, and some of them were just, you know, kind of neutral to supportive. Talk us through this, Darren.
1: So Nike gave an opportunity for a couple of journalists to run the 40-yard dash. It was actually a 20-yard dash, which they then had some formula because you started twice as to what would be a 40-yard dash. It was in their headquarters in New York, so they didn't have 40 yards to run straight. They gave some journalists the opportunity. This is on the day of the the NFL draft. Um And there were several things that I knew going in that would would not make it ideal for me. Uh, One, they wanted us to wear their new cleats, which I'm just not a natural in cleats. I'd rather wear running shoes. Two, it was on like some sod-type surface, you know, that was kind of slippery. And three, I was running a half-marathon Two weeks later, and I really didn't feel like carrying my ACL. So there was a lot of tentativeness. These are not excuses. I am not, I'm not saying this is why I ran it. I ran a 6.99, which is, you know, slower than Rich Eisen's and the one that, but people really were making fun of my form, how I didn't lift my feet up and all this, and it's all good to me because I, I, I don't pride myself on speed. I pride myself on actually running long distance, but people had a lot of fun at, at my expense, and I read it with glee. and as long as, you know, you're talking about me, and you can love me or hate me, I'm fine with it, but it managed to generate, you would think someone just running a 40, that there wouldn't be these type of feelings that would be evoked, but I, I, I guess uh, it brought out the best and worst of people.
0: All right. So for, again, you were trending on Twitter for that. And so, look, you know how to picket people on Twitter. You know how to move the conversation on Twitter. Uh, We all came up with an idea for a new project that you're going to launch on Twitter. Today is Mm -hmm. Monday. You're going to launch it today. People can engage with it the entire week. Um, Tell us what you're going to do.
1: So basically, a lot, of, a lot of the time, when I first started on Twitter, Twitter did not have any polling um, uh, device. And so I said, vote A for yes and B for no, and then I had someone count it up. It was, it was enough of a bit that when I asked Chrissy Teigen way back to uh, sign a, a Sports Illustrated photo of her, she wrote, do you like this? Vote A for yes, B for no. And I still have that, but that, so it became that much of a thing that I was doing that a lot. So um, we, you know, polling, I've done a lot of polling, probably more than anyone else on Twitter. And I've, you know, there are certain topics that just seem to hit, whether it's relevant in the moment or whether it's a standard thing that people just feel passionate about, whether it's, the in and out versus Shake Shack Five Guys debate, which always goes nuts. You know, Twitter is very much a kind of in the moment, and what do you think of this? And leading to the, were the the, the phrase that has another thing that people make fun of me: the water cooler. Uh, people talking at the water cooler over. So we've decided to uh, to to do this bit. On Twitter, it's starting today. It's called Ranked, and essentially what it is is I will go out um, and say, "Okay, this is our topic. You tell me what your favorites are in this topic, and then we will the next day uh, put out a poll of the four most popular, um, and then over a 48-hour time frame." You will choose which one is your favorite, so the Twitterverse gets to decide, and then we make a a show or a podcast or a, we'll have a conversation over that winner and talk to someone in the Twitter sphere or someone who knows something uh, about that topic um, and make it a whole big thing. and And so it's like you, it's like choose your own adventure, but it's it's crowdsourcing it. And um, I'm, I think it's a good idea, and I'm, I'm really excited to do it.
0: I'm excited about it, too. You, you engage people on Twitter better than anything. And so um, if you were to rank your 40-yard dash, your trolling of the LSU gymnastics team, and your singing of One Shining Moment, uh, how would you rank those in terms of your uh, Twitter influencer lifestyle best to worst?
1: Ah, that's a good one. Um, I think the, the one shining moment I would do one just because, you know, to me, that's like, I just wanted to have fun and blast it out. And I didn't care what people thought, but I knew how people would think. I knew that people would go crazy over it. Um, so I felt like I liked how I knew that there was kind of this gap, and we filled the gap with content that people would like. Um, two, I would say the LSU gymnastics thing because it's a little bit different. Um, it just—it it, it just was. I just—I just wanted to have a take, and I also, again, I'm self-aware. I knew what was going to happen, um, but but it's not like I do it as a device. I do it, and I'm proud of it because I believe in it. Um it's not quite the uh your kid getting a trophy for coming in fourth place or a certificate for something you didn't win, but I, I thought it was worth pointing out. And the way people reacted, even if they reacted negatively, showed that it was worth pointing out. And then, you know, the forty yard dash I think is the last, um, but it's okay. I'm I knew that I wasn't gonna run the fastest. Guess what? You wouldn't either. So I think people don't even know how they look when they run, but they just assume that I look worse than everyone else. Um, but I also like that <laughs> I have in the back pocket. I also like that I have in my back pocket that, hey, two weeks later I ran a, a half-marathon where only one of my miles was over 10 minutes. Um, so like you could call me the worst athlete in the world, but I'm, I'm not. I just I just walk like a duck and never got my when run like a duck and never got my feet corrected as a child for some reason. Um, you are
0: right that like we all look worse in video than we think. You know there absolutely. were a couple of years where you know growing up I was playing basketball with my friends every single day and we're like let's videotape this so we set up <laughs> a camera we videotaped it then we watched it and we were so much slower and worse than the way we thought we looked when we were actually in the middle of the game. So exactly. let me ask you my last question here. Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah, my the, last question. The only context, Here's my last question. Yeah, the, go, all right, go ahead. Tell me your context.
1: No, the only context people have are, are elite athletes who've practiced for a year. They, they yeah. don't have video exactly. themselves running anything.
0: Like I was deceptively slow. You'd think I'm like a little guy and I'm like relatively coordinated. So you'd think I'd be fast and I was like I was making moves that they might as well have been (laughs) in slow motion. Um, All right, so now we've gotten through this. Tell me what Ranked is going to be about. What is the subject for Ranked this week? It better be timely. It better own the conversation in Twitter because that's all that matters. You need to be a facilitator. You need to be like the Damian Lillard of Twitter this week with Ranked.
1: So it has to be, it would either be two things. It would, it would, it would either be, uh, the worst companies that went public because of Uber, but I think the one that's going to take over more is going to be what's the best show of all time, the best series, because we have the Game of Thrones finale coming up. Um, and admittedly, I think, you know, I mean, my my favorite series is probably I'm I'm gonna say it I'm gonna say it, the Wonder Years, um and and people can again make fun of me for saying well wait after you're 14 nothing else happened, uh, listen we're we're all nostalgic about our childhood, but we want to hear from you kind of whether you think Game of Thrones is going to be in the top four, or you know whether it's Homeland or um, you know, and any any of the shows. Obviously, it's going to be tough for us to go through all of them, but we're pretty confident we can get down to the to the final four, and then give you 48 hours to vote on it, and then spend uh, a good time talking about the one that prevails.
0: We're talking about best series of all time, not finales.
1: Yes, series. Got it. Series. Got
0: it. I mean, I already time. know the answers. The answers are The West Wing, Breaking Bad. Seinfeld.
1: Seinfeld, correct.
0: Have to be the top three. If those aren't the top three, I I believe
1: breaking, I I don't know about the West wing. I think, I think breaking bad and Seinfeld are definitely two. Um, And I guess game of Thrones has to get in there by default. Uh, We'll have to figure that out. I mean, obviously there's some recency bias here, but uh, I, I do believe Seinfeld is definitely, does friends get in there? Does Gray's you know Anatomy what? get in there? Gray's Anatomy.
0: Gonna, this is the beauty. We're going to let the people vote. So everybody, go check the hashtag Ranked on Twitter. Darren is going to tweet it out like a madman. We want to hear what you have to say. We'll figure out what the final four are going to be, and then we will talk about it later in the week, engage with it all week long. Darren Ravel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Chad. Next up on the favorites, everybody's favorite at the Action Network. No joke. Uh, If you want to see people scramble, if you want to see meetings stop, uh, follow Justin Fan in the Action Network app because we do something called the Fan Wagon. And whenever Justin makes a bet, uh, we all follow him in the app. We all get an alert and you will immediately see like our office come to a halt. Because Fan Wagon has been so smart about his bets this year that it's turned into a bit of a phenomenon in our office. Got him on the podcast today because we are down to the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. A lot of activity. I know he's loaded on the Golden State Warriors. Justin Fan, thanks for coming on, brother.
2: Thanks for having me on. Um, excited to talk hoops. The basketball has been really, really good lately. Two great Game 7s on Sunday, then the Warriors-Rockets Game 6. I mean, we've just been spoiled by really good basketball lately. So um, expecting kind of the same in the, in the conference finals and kind of looking forward to dive in here.
0: All right. So I know, you know, you were in town in New York this past week, and so we spent a lot of time together. Uh, I know that you are loaded on the Warriors to win the title uh in multiple ways so saturday night um the uh whenever the game was was it saturday night the rockets and the warriors was that game six was it friday night when was that it was, I can't it, even was remember it was now.
2: friday yeah
0: yeah friday night. Friday. so when you're watching that game how are you strategizing how are you thinking about all right i've got the warriors in the finals do i do anything with this game do i hedge starting now what is your thinking there
2: yeah, so the the line was you know pretty substantial, so I didn't see much value um, hedging at that time. so I kind of viewed game six as a free roll and a way for me kind of to evaluate what I was going to do in game seven if they looked really, really bad, and if I was really concerned with how they were able to generate their offense and how things looked without KD, then I would hedge a little bit more in game seven and bet Rockets' money line um so i just kind of you know viewed it kind of as a dress rehearsal honestly i was not expecting the warriors to come away with a win there so i was pleasantly surprised um but yeah for me it was kind of a wait and see approach i wanted to see how they looked before i made a decision um heading into game seven
0: you know uh you and i i think we talked about this we're doing this new project where we're going to sort of simulate nba 2k nba 2k games And so, and then put lines on them. Sean Corner, uh, one of the guys on our team who's a brilliant sort of model and projectionist, uh, was going to work with me on this. And so I did it this weekend. I did um, the 2015-16 Warriors versus the current Warriors with the key difference being Kevin Durant on one team, Harrison Barnes on the 15-16 team. Uh, If you had to project, uh, what do you think the line on that game would be?
2: Wow, um, I mean Warriors minus this 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 current uh, group of the Warriors minus three and a half four, um, something like that. Um, I, that that team kind of had a little bit more depth, I believe. So um, you know, I think it'd be pretty competitive. But um, yeah, I think it'd be probably a couple points. What do you think?
0: Uh, I was in the same camp, and actually, Corner Sean Corner. Before he simulated any of the games, handicapped it at uh, the current Warriors at minus three. Then each of us played the games. We played six games total. Uh, the current Warriors won by an average of 18 points per game. They won four of those games. And the 15, 16 Warriors won two of the games. Um, one by eight, one by, I think, 19. Um so corner made the number uh, made the total two twenty one and a half, and he made the side uh, current warriors minus seven and a half.
2: Yeah, I mean that's substantial. I, I think Steph was on another level than he was than he is now. Um, I think that kind of the factors in as well. And like I said, I think they had a little bit more better play from their bench players. Um, the guys like Bogut, uh, you know, 2015-2016, Bogut was way more effective um they had some a, a decent bench mob in barbosa most Spates, um you know swag i mean they had some guys there that um you know were a little better and a little deeper than this current group but um yeah I, I i'd probably stick to three and a half four
0: that's interesting all right so now we got a western conference finals of the warriors and the blazers did you is this the, is this what you saw happening
2: I thought Denver would win um, Game Seven. I mean, I thought they'd hold home court. I bet the, the Blazers second half, um, thinking they'd be able to, you know, start hitting a little, bit, you know, a couple more shots. Um, Dame would, you know, not get, <laughs> not stay ice cold from three. But um, yeah, I definitely didn't expect this, and you know, I'm really excited for this this, uh, this matchup here. You know, you got Steph and Clay versus Dame and CJ. You know, you got Steph versus brother Seth. Games from Oakland, so um, this is going to be really fun, and I'm and, you know, excited to see uh, how this one plays out.
0: So, what's your prediction? How do you see it playing out? How do you play a, a, a finals like this?
2: I mean, I have Warriors in five right now, and I think um, you know you kind of look at how you know the Warriors are going to defend Dame and CJ. I don't really have much concern there, given they just came off a series where they had to you know keep Harden and CB three in check. Um, they've had good success in the regular season defending those guys. Clay's defended game, held him to 37% shooting. Steph defended CJ McCollum, held him to 27% shooting. And I think the difference in this series between these two teams, you have these dynamic backcourts. The difference is going to be Draymond. Um, you know, we all know Draymond's defensive value. Um, the difference in this series between the two teams is going to be... Um, the Blazers don't, got, don't have a guy like that on offense, and um, we saw game six, man. You run that Steph Draymond pick and roll. It's really, really hard to defend. You're either going to leave Steph one-on-one, or you're going to play four-on-three with Draymond leading you know, the charge downhill. I mean, it's really, really tough. So um, the Blazers, I just don't see them having enough players around Damon C.J., to, to stick with the Warriors in this one. And, you know, Rodney Hood just had a knee injury in game seven. That's going to be really big because he was basically the series MVP for them. You know, he was really, really important for them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time seeing, um, you know, Enos Cantor surviving this series, defending the pick and roll with Steph Curry. Um, you know, they have two starters in Alpharouk Aminu, Mo Harquez, who have been basically unplayable. And they won game seven, basically on a massive outlier game from Evan Turner. So um, it's been a great series, great story for the Blazers so far. Um, You know, they've had deal with the death of Paul Allen, Jonathan Yim, um, the the injury to Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, this has been a really easy team to root for, but I just don't see them having, you know, enough, enough talent here to really hang with the Warriors. And you have Kevin Durant kind of looming. I mean, I think, you know, he probably returns to game three or game four. And that, you know, that's kind of a car in the back pocket that the Warriors can play here if they really have to.
0: What do you think of when you hear people say the Warriors are a better team without Kevin Durant?
2: I think it's true to an extent. They play a much better offensive brand of basketball. They're stylistically, they're harder to defend. Like I said, that Steph Draymond pick and roll It's really, really tough. You're either choosing not to double-step and kind of leaving your defender on island, or you're going, you know, you're you're giving Draymond the ball downhill. He's playing four and three. You can find clay um, on the, you know, behind the perimeter or, you know, throw an alley-oop to Andre Iguodala or Kevin Looney. Like, it's really, really tough to defend the Warriors um, when they kind of play that brand of basketball. And it's kind of pick your poison with KD. You know, you have to defend them, you know, one-on-one in isolation. I think, you know, the ideal, um, you know, blend here is kind of blend those two together. You know, kind of blend a little bit more pick and roll, a little bit more team basketball with KD. And, you know, I think that's kind of the aspect that they're kind of missing when, you know, they play KD. A lot of times the offense gets bogged down. They'll have to kind of rely on KD hitting, you know, tough, contested isolation shots. Um, you, know, with, you know, with him out, they've played a lot more of a team brand of basketball where, um, you know, it's a, lot, it's a lot more kind of difficult to, you know, to defend, and, you know, so many guys are involved that, um, you know, um, and, and you kind of put the ball in step hands, and it's really tough, you know, to, to kind of defend that.
0: All right, let's jump to the other one. Um, Bucks and Raptors, wow. That game by Kawhi last night, was insanity. And it sets up a really interesting matchup. And obviously I'm talking about Kawhi's last second shot against the Sixers. Oftentimes in these series, I tend to bet on the team that has the best player. Because in a seven-game series or in a multi-game series like this, where you're seeing the same team every night, you get a pretty good read on their offense. You get a pretty good read on their defense. So you get an understanding on how to sort of get in the way. You even saw it like with the Blazers and... Uh, The Nuggets, like the way the Nuggets would step out on on Dame sort of like three to four feet beyond the arc and the transitions they made and the uh, adjustments they made, that allows for adjustments. But most of the best players, Giannis and Kawhi included, I feel like are kind of impervious to adjustments, right? They can rise above adjustments almost literally. How do you handicap a series in which it is almost entirely about these two guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, you said you generally bet bet on the best player. Who do you think the better player is in the series, Giannis or Kawhi? That's what I'm a really
0: hard time with.
2: Yeah, they're number one, number two in player efficiency rating in the playoffs. I mean, they've been clearly the best two-way players um, in the playoffs so far. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see how how the, the Raptors are able to defend um, the Bucks here. I mean, uh, they're... They're a team that can win, you know, with bigger small lineups. They can win up-tempo in transition or in the half court. They'll bludgeon you in the paint with Giannis or hit you with a barrage of threes. I mean, this Bucks team is so tough to defend. And um, obviously the centerpiece of that is Giannis. And commit bodies to them. You wall off the paint. We'll find shooters. And they have just shooters galore. Middleton, Brogdon, Miritich, Connington, Brooke Lopez, Ilyasova, George Hill. The list goes on. So, um, for me, I handicapped this being Bucks and Five just because I just have a tough time seeing how the Raptors are able to figure this thing out. And, um, you know, really, you know, we talked about Kawhi a lot, obviously, and, you know, Pascal Siakam has been great too, but one guy who's been really, really important for them um, in the first two rounds has been Marcus Sol. Um I think he hasn't put the, the you know, counting stats that people are, are expecting, but his defense on Nick Vucevic in, in, the, in the first series and his defense on Joel Embiid in the, the second round has been phenomenal. I mean, he has played some incredible defense. And for him in this series, I have a hard time figuring out where he really fits in. I mean, you have a smaller, cent- uh, you know, a, a stretchier center in Brook Lopez who likes to live on the perimeter. I'm not sure Gasol can really you know, hang with him. So where does Sol fit in this series? Um, I don't know. And just the Bucks give you so many different looks and can play in so many different lineups and styles that I just have a hard time seeing you know, Toronto keeping up here.
0: You know, when you put it that way, like I'm thinking about who are the secondary assets, right? So let's say you double-team or even triple-team Giannis. He can throw it to Chris Middleton. Who's Kawhi going to throw it to? Kyle Lowry like are you really going to trust Kyle Siak- Lowry yeah you know I mean Siakam, and Siakam I like,
2: is number two yeah
0: he's you know he's a little banged up so like you know yep. there's some inconsistency there and also he hasn't been in the spot whereas like Chris Middleton is an all star like I, I, I have a lot more faith in Chris Middleton than I do in Siakam at this point even though I do think he's sort of a guy on the rise Um, I need you to explain to people you have created something in the fantasy lab's NBA handle that, like for insiders, and it it, it crossed a hundred thousand followers this year, and it's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Um, for insiders of the NBA and inside NBA betters, it's become indispensable. Explain to people what you've built.
2: I mean, I think you know the goal when we created the Fin Labs NBA uh, handle is just basically, if I was you know, a DFS player, or if I was a sports better, what information would I want and you know I want to have it faster than anybody else and have the information be more accurate and more reliable than than any any other source and you know I think that's kind of what we've done with that you know with that account is with that feed is just give um, you know give bettors and, and DFS players the best information possible and you know for me as a better, I think you know I try avoid I try to avoid betting spreads and totals straight up as much as possible, meaning if there's like no news um, no movement at all in the line, it's pretty standard. I try to avoid those situations as possible um, for me, I'm constantly looking to find edges and to exploit them, and one of those um, ways one of those edges that I found obviously is with News and um, for me, you know, on a typical NBA day, I'll read you know 5,000 to 10,000 tweets a day from you know NBA beat reporters and writers. I'll you know read 30, 40, 50 articles and watch a ton of video from shoot around. So um, I'm just constantly trying to dive into those um, pieces of information to find nuggets and 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 kind of leans. If a guy's questionable, I'll you know I'll try to you know gather as much information to have a lean, whether he's more probable or doubtful, then only kind of use that information um, to bet news and jump on lines before they move. I mean, mean, because if you're a better, I think what you're trying to do more often than not is just to aim to consistently beat the closing line as much as possible. So, um, yeah, for me, that's just become a part, a big part of how I bet games. And, um, you know, it's kind of worked out for me uh, pretty well so far.
0: Yeah, what you and JJ Kaye and Jay Person do with the Fantasy Labs NBA handle, that is exactly why we all jump on the fan wagon when you make a bet. Because we know, like, the information is coming in, and you're making the move before the number has moved, and uh, we just need to get on that as quickly as possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, so well it, you know, it, most, most of the time it works out except for that final day of the season when you have, like, Five Blazers players that are bench players they play 48 minutes and you know beat the closing line by five points and still just get absolutely um, taken, <laughs> taken to the cleaners so most of the time it works sometimes it doesn't but you know I, it's, it's really just about you know the process obviously so yeah I, I think that's you know a big edge that you know we've been we've been looking to exploit and and try to get the most out of.
0: All right. Justin fan of the action network lead editor for fantasy labs, NBA news, part of the action network. Thanks for coming on the podcast, buddy.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: A banner epic episode of the favorites. We conclude with Jason Sobel action network, golf writer, the premier golf writer of his generation calling from his parents' house in long Island, where he is staying while he covers the PGA championship at Bethpage, Sobel. When you and I were working together at ESPN, did you ever have to stay at your parents' house for an event?
3: Uh, it happened a couple of times, but uh, we just so have happened where I grew up uh, basically right between Shinnecock and Bethpage, and so now for the second time in the last eleven months, I'm staying with my parents. Not only staying with my parents, not only staying with my parents during a golf tournament. But staying with my parents during a major championship, which uh, that's obviously the biggest weeks of the year. So uh, I'm doing that mostly because uh, I love the company that I work with and I want to save you guys money. I know those expenses are coming straight out of your pocket, Chad. So um, I flew here first class. I had some caviar in the airport, but I wanted to (laughs) cut down on expenses. So I'm staying with the folks this week.
0: Only the best for you, Sobo. (laughs) You have earned it. That's awesome. I just have this vision of, like, your mom calling you while you're in the tent talking to Tiger Woods, honey, when are you going to be home for dinner?
3: It literally happens. And it's not, my parents are great about it. They really are. Um, It's basically like I can crash here and, you know, I got a key and whatever I need to do, it's fine. There's no curfew. But there's a little of like, you know, hey, are you going to be home at seven for dinner? Uh, You know, should I keep dinner on? Like, what do you want me to do? I, I, I don't know. That's not the usual question I get from uh, the Courtyard at Marriott people who don't seem to mind when I come and go. But it's okay. It's fine. It's a little awkward, but it's fine.
0: I love the idea of, like, you're saying There's no, <laughs> there's no curfew. <laughs> it's almost impossible to sort of – it's impossible to be, like, a guy who – doesn't live at home like you're a parent you've lived out of the house forever and yet yeah. you like when you go home it's still kind of like you're 15 years old
3: very much i mean it's like at some point this week i will go out you know other writers are staying in huntington which is about 20 minutes from where i am in islip and uh i'll go meet them for a beer or something and as i'm walking out of the house my parents will be will say you know, where are you going and yeah you know, not more out of curiosity than questioning but just Hey, where are you going? Who are you going out with? I'm going to go meet up with some of the guys. We're going to grab a beer. All right, well, be careful driving home. You know, don't have more than one because, you know, oh, okay, yeah, I'm 43 years old. I've got two kids. I've got a wife. i got a mortgage. i got car payments. I, I, I get it. Thank you. But, yes, you're, you're absolutely right about that, Chad. It, it, in some sense, it still feels like you're 15 years old in answering questions.
0: I don't even know how we're getting by as a company. All right, Sobel. So let's talk about what you actually have to do out there this week. Uh, Tiger Woods. Do I have to do anything? Yeah, seriously. No, just hang out with your ma. Tell her we said hello. Uh, <laughs> Tiger Woods, first major since uh, the major of all majors that ended all majors. Um, he's the leader uh, in terms of odds. Go check it out, ActionNetwork.com. I think he's 8 to 1 right now. Clearly, there's no value there. So let's talk about the board. Let's talk about where you're seeing the value.
3: Well, I mean, after what we saw at Augusta last month, aren't we due for like a Sean McKeel wins by seven kind of major championship? I mean, don't don't we all kind of deserve that? We don't deserve like a, a few of these really good ones in a row. We sort of deserve like, all right, like I could be let down. I we had we had one of the greatest major championships of all time last month. This one can be a letdown. That's you know we don't deserve nice things every single month. But um, it's great momentum, first of all, for the new golf schedule, which, as you know, uh, now has majors uh, every month from April through July. And uh, coming off the momentum of uh, Tiger's win at the Masters last month and having all, as of right now, top 100 players uh, in the world who are in this field for the first time ever in a major and being in the biggest media market in the world in New York, Uh, here at Bethpage it's going to be a big deal this week I I think it's going to play for the big hitters Um, Bethpage isn't necessarily I mean we always think of it sort of being fierce and being toothy and just sort of having a just uh, just a big ballpark and it is but 7,459 yards it's not the biggest that we've seen it's not the longest golf course that we'll see uh, out of the major championships but Um, As Ricky Fowler explained to me a couple weeks ago when I was at uh, Quail Hollow, he said, look, it's not a driver-wedge golf course, and so uh, you're going to be hitting a lot of six-irons out of the rough. You're going to be hitting seven-irons, and to me, I'd rather see a guy who's a big hitter and can knock it way down there, even if he's missing fairways, but be able to hit eight-irons repeatedly out of the rough instead of six-irons. I think that's a huge advantage for the guys who hit the ball a long way. So I, I've done my ranking. I'm still kind of fine-tuning it. I haven't filed yet, but I've ranked the entire 156-man field, and uh, you will see a lot of the big hitters, a lot of the big names up near the top of that ranking.
0: I love when you do those rankings. They are ma- A, they're massive drivers for traffic and subscriptions, yeah. but <laughs> they're also just like, like so— that? I do like that. I'm mercenary that way. But they're also just like so detailed and interesting and like high utility with these great nuggets like you just added about Fowler sort of it's not a driver and wedge golf course. Like that's just inside the rope stuff that that has made you you. Um, Here is the bet that is going around in Slack right now at the Action Network. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I think people like him is because of what you just mentioned. Uh, Bubba Watson at 60-1 to one right now. Yeah. Big hitter off the tee. Yeah. Why are we talking about Bubba Watson at 60-1 to as one, one of our group bets?
3: All right, well, I've got a couple of different reasons why I, I really like Bubba this week and one big one why I don't. And so and I've been wrestling with Bubba. I think on my list right now, I've got him number six or seven going into the week. And like I said, I'm still fine-tuning it a little bit. I'm holding off on filing for a few more hours because I kind of want to weigh a few things and look at a few more things. and uh, But Bubba's up there. Um, I, I like him, obviously, the obvious reason. He hits the ball a long way off the tee. Uh, we all know that. Secondly, he loves courses where he can have sight lines. He doesn't like wide-open golf courses where he doesn't know where to aim. He needs trees in the background. He needs a power line here and there. He needs something to look at and say, I'm going to hit it at that with a 22-yard cut. And so... That helps him a lot, I, I think this plays into his game. Second, thirdly, he likes to work the ball both ways. He wants to hit it left to right. He wants to hit it right to left. He can do everything except hit a dead straight ball. He doesn't like doing that. So I think Beth Page affords him the ability to work the ball both ways. All of those are really good things. He's played well enough this year, finished 12th at the Masters last month, that I, I wouldn't be scared to take him at all. Here's the downside for Bubba. Bubba has gone on record saying he has anxiety, he doesn't like crowds, he doesn't like people, he doesn't like people watching him. This is going to be the most raucous crowds that we've seen, uh, really, since the last time there was a major championship at Bethpage. These are uh, New York crowds, these are public golf course crowds, these are Long Islanders, these are New Yorkers. They are loud, and if you let them get in your head just a little bit, and if you show some sign of intimidation, they're going to jump all over you. They did that to Sergio back in 2002 when he was waggling over the ball and they started counting up the waggles. They got inside Colin Montgomery's head that year. And I can see Bubba, if he gets a little bit flustered, having these fans inside his head. And that's the only downside to picking Bubba Watson this week.
0: I need to unpack what you just said for a second. Bubba Watson (laughs) aiming for having like points of aim, the, mm-hmm. the, the detail and specificity with which you can say the degrees to which you will cut a ball going from both directions and then the level of anxiety and the way you describe New Yorkers, that might be the greatest 60 seconds of golf analysis about the PGA championship I've ever heard.
3: Well, thank you. The week is early though. We can get better than that, but no, it's true. I mean, it, look, everything points to Bubba Watson having a nice week. I mean, you look at the golf course and say, well, this course really works for him. It's a course that should suit his eye. And for Bubba, more so than almost any other player out there, the course needs to fit his eye. If it doesn't, he's done before he even starts. But for Bubba, he needs to walk out there and say, hey, this looks right to me. And that's when he plays well. And and we see it. There are certain golf courses, uh, TPC River Highlands in Connecticut, Riviera out in L.A., Augusta National, of course, where Bubba Watson plays well repeatedly year after year, and then there are other golf courses that he returns to and never plays well at at all. And there's specific reasons for that. Uh, first of all, the course has to suit his eye. But secondly, uh, I have always thought, especially at Augusta, where the fans are not on top of you, the fans are not raucous, the fans are not yelling out at you the entire time. I think that atmosphere, those surroundings, are the perfect, uh, the perfect thing for, for Bubba Watson uh, to have around him during a golf tournament because uh, they're not yelling Baba Booey. They're not yelling uh, mashed potatoes in your backswing. And I think it doesn't affect him as much. Um, you know, So I, I think that's huge for him. Um, I would look at a few other players. Uh, Jason Day I really like this week, and the course should suit him. Um, but I know a lot of people who have bet on Jason Day and who have taken Jason Day in DFS and uh, have – Uh, have gotten, in their opinion, screwed over by the fact that he's withdrawn. He did that. The Arnold Palmer Invitational looked like he might do that at the Masters, although he wound up finishing in fifth place even after, uh, lying on the ground stretching out on the second hole. Well, you look at it and you say, okay, this is a good course for Jason Day. You look at the models that we have on Fantasy Labs. They really like Jason Day. He's up there in everything. The stats make sense. And yet... It's about 50 degrees out here, which, first of all, Chad, I don't know how you guys live in these conditions. I lived in Connecticut for 15 years, obviously, like I said, grew up in, on Long Island. I, I live in Orlando now. I don't, know, I, I don't go outside in under 70, so I don't know how you guys live in this. Jason Day is not going to like this. When he walks outside and tries to swing on the first tee at Bethpage Black, and his back is not really activated, to use the term that Tiger always uses. So uh, if it's cold out and he's trying to swing – it's going to hurt them a little bit. So there are other factors. My my main point of all this being there are other factors. We can look at models. We can look at how the course fits certain players, but you have to look past that a little bit, some of these intangibles, because they're going to be into play. They're going to come into play this week.
0: Jason Sobel, golf writer for the Action Network. Really golf everything for the Action Network. You're like a golf (laughs) extraordinaire. Um, Clearly the best writer of your generation when it comes to golf. And also maybe your mom's favorite golf writer.
3: I hope so. I, don't know. My, I will tell you a very true story. So my grandmother, who's now 100 years old, will, and, you know, she's been doing this since I've started liking golf. She's been a golf fan for her entire life. And she would cut out articles from the newspaper and, and send them to me. And when I first started, and I said, oh, okay, well, that's nice. I guess she's just trying to show me kind of what's out there. After a while, she would cut out these articles from the newspaper, from like the Palm Beach Post. She lives down in, in uh, South Florida and from, you know, the Miami Herald. She cut out these articles. And I'm sitting there going, I was sitting next to the guy who wrote that, and I asked the actual question to listen to the quote that he used in the second paragraph. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, Grandma, I'm not sure what you're sending me, but <laughs> you should probably go on the computer and look at what I wrote because it's better than what that guy wrote. But anyway, yes, yeah, so I, you know, not necessarily – uh, the favorite golf writer of everyone in the family, I guess. But I do think my mom likes some of my stuff.
0: Subtle motivation. Thank you, Jason Sobel, for coming on the Favorites Podcast. Talk to you later. Have a good week.
3: Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it.
0: This has been an epic episode of the Favorites. Thanks to Ravel. Thanks to Justin Fan. Thanks to Jason Sobel. Reminder, download from Apple Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Download it from radio.com slash the action network until next time. Love you.